Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Helen Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Tijong, a culture writing critic. And this week we're discussing two non-American shows for a change. Oh my god. Yay, international. It's, it's Europe today, eh? <laughs> it's, it is Europe. So one of them is Call My Agent, a series that's also sort of a love letter to show business. And The Head, a limited series about a murder in the South Pole. Um, so how are you doing, Fallon? Oh, I'm all right, babes. You know, I told people that I was going to talk differently. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if people can notice it, but I'm really trying to get my East London back, man. I've missed her. <laughs> it's been it- six years. Okay. Like, the thing is, like, my husband notices that every time we touch down at Heathrow, he's just like, all right, here it Change. comes. Okay. And I'm just like, all right, love. <laughs> <laughs> So are you doing it right now for the benefit of... Well, a little bit. I'm trying to. I'm trying to, like, get comfortable back into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's Um, a weird context. Not the familiar context to do it. Yeah. No. Um, Other than that, you know, I've been preoccupying myself with Lola Bunny this week. Oh, God. You know, the important things of the week of life. Yeah. What's your take on Lola Bunny? Well, okay. So for anyone that doesn't know... Uh, Space Jam is obviously being remade with LeBron James. I'm very excited. Uh, <laughs> we got some like images coming out this week. It's very like bisexual lighting going on. I'm really here <laughs> for it. But like the biggest thing was that Lola Bunny, they desexualized her. So now she's gone from a D cup to an A cup. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she basically looks like me. <laughs> like just, <laughs> just flat chested, stumpy thighed and short um whereas like you know if you remember space jam from back in our day the first one with Mm -hmm. michael jordan uh you know she was very sexy she kind of set the way for furries yeah but she was you know i'm sure a lot of guys around our age that were straight were jacking off to lola bunny because they that was it for them yeah and for girls like me i thought she was really hot and i also wanted to be her at the same time Mm -hmm. so to have this new desexualized version of her it's just throwing everything into disarray I think a lot of people are like, like I'm one of these people that just kind of wishes that the tits came back and like that they never went away. I would just really prefer it if we had a sexy, sexy bunny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Give the kids what they want. <laughs> yes. um, but I think a lot of people are also on the other end of it where they're just like, yeah, we don't need the one female character to be big titted and bimbo-ish. Right. Uh, I personally think bimbo rights matter and there's right. nothing wrong with being a big titted bitch. What do you, what's your stance on it? What do you think? I do like the way she looked before better. I mean, yeah, like if if you think about it, you know, in the larger context, sure, I can see like what is a little bit uh weird about that. Um, but you know, <laughs> put it in a vacuum, like purely in a vacuum, she looked great. Yeah. Not that she looks terrible right now without her boobs, but just changes things a little bit. But I enjoyed all the jokes essentially about like guys our age or older or whatever who are like shit what am i gonna fap off to now yeah. um and there are a lot of really like images i wish i hadn't seen um if you open it up of like fan art of lula money and like these oh, comments it's and stuff. the best um so good anyway just fucking weird <laughs> who it's who just predicted it, this yeah and it honestly it's like it's something of our generation you know what i mean and for it to be completely changed is kind of pissing me off and it kind of not to take it there but i kind of think these things are related it's the reason why we don't have erotic thrillers anymore it's the reason why everyone's losing their fucking minds over the boring sex scenes in bridgerton 
people don't understand what it means to be horny anymore. Um, but no, I mean, seriously, I think it's like, it's fine. It's it's fine that this bunny is flat chested. It's just annoying because it, it feels like something that didn't need to change is now different. Anyway, that's what I've been thinking about. Obviously, this is clearly very important to me. <laughs> yeah. In the meantime, what have you been watching this week, Jenny? Uh, so I watched Call My Agent, finally. It took me maybe a, three weeks to, to a month to watch it. Well, there's a lot of seasons. Yeah, there are four seasons, 24 episodes total. This is on Netflix, by the way. So it's a French TV series. In French, it's 10% or 10%. But basically, the series, which is created by Fanny Herrero, and it stars an ensemble cast. It's about a French talent agency and its employees, including the agents, their assistants, and their clients who are like directors, writers, famous actors and actresses, uh, many of whom actually do appear playing themselves in guest appearances. Yeah, it's Um, so fun. Yeah, it's very fun. They have like... They have hard hitters in here. Yeah, by season three. When season three rolls around, it's like international French stars. Yeah. Right? So it's kind of yeah. amazing what, you know, who they got involved. But uh, from what I've been reading, like these, you know, celebrities, essentially, they were very eager to come on the show, which kind mm-hmm. of is like a, a compliment, big compliment to the show. So it kicks off with this agency's founder who suddenly dies. And then in his, you know, the, the wake of his death, the agents are left scrambling to sort of juggle the business, they're demanding clients, um, and this very, very messy, like, personal, professional line. So, it's a great show. It's, like I, I mentioned up top, it's definitely a love letter to cinema, TV, the show business, the people who make it happen, mm-hmm. um, which I, I thought was really sweet in that, you know, it kind of portrays agents not as, like, sleazy bastards, which mm-hmm. a, some of them are. They are a little bit, but yeah. kind of a, yeah. a more dignified portrait you know, they truly believe in their clients, you know, they're scheming and manipulating, but they do it for the higher service of like art and, you know, filmmaking. So very much kind of a, a flattering portrait of them. Yeah. So when did you watch it, Palin? I started watching it, I think, last year. And then, um, you know, most recently, the final season came out. And, yeah, about a month ago on Netflix. Yeah. So it is, it is done now. Every, all, the entire library is on Netflix. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, when I started watching it, I didn't know too much about it. It came recommended from like a couple of critics, but it really transported me away. I think there's really something special about, I don't know, that it's just really nice to be in France <laughs> like yes. when, when you are stuck in your house. And don't get me wrong, like, I've been to Paris, they're racist, <laughs> like, it's just, it's a, they're very, very haughty people, but it is a beautiful city. But yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things that I appreciated about it too was um, its earnestness. Like, it, it feels like some of the plot points feel really, uh, they're, they're not very complicated po- plot points, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's very, there's like some telenovela like aspects to it. Definitely. But, the dialogue and the characters are so endearing. Like you really kind of latch onto everyone that you watch. Yeah. Everyone's really, really charming and really nice. Almost everyone. The biggest thing that I like, I wanted to ask you, like the first season, not that it's tough to get into by any means, but a lot of the stars, like you have no, if you're not French, you don't know who the fuck these people are, <laughs> even though you understand the, the, the type of celebrity that they are. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's still really entertaining. Because you still kind of, I don't know, when, like, when was the last time we watched something that was this like curtain back about the in- industry? It must have been Entourage, right? Like, I feel like Entourage was the last thing that we watched 
which I about never, people watching I never the film watched. industry actually <laughs> oh shit maybe um, you should get into that <laughs> maybe but i yeah i did see like quite a few comparisons to to entourage and yeah i really enjoyed this this look at just like what agents do ostensibly like how mm-hmm. things work the messiness and how much things are like barely held together by tape um just like running yeah. around at the last minute fixing all these problems like they say their job is literally just to fix problems um which mm-hmm. it seems like 90 percent of it is um yeah. who was your favorite character out of curiosity um i'm gonna say andrea oh yeah yeah she yeah is my definitely... big nose queen <laughs> beautiful yeah, beautiful just like roman nose a very like angular uh expressive kind of like hawkish face but in an yeah. exquisite way she just like classic French woman, just in terms of like she's a bit ugly, but she but her overall vibe is kind of hot, so you just go with it. Yeah. <laughs> so her, her hair, yeah, the way she dresses, like everything, all of it, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, I loved her. I loved. I love the dog. <laughs> I liked the dog um, is great. Ar- Arlette, yep. um, the 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 oldest agent who who owns the dog and like trots him into the office every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would say Andrea is like. My favorite also, and she's also kind of the the heart of the whole series, um, mm-hmm. yeah. which you wouldn't really expect because one of the inciting incidents in season one is when a new girl comes to town, this girl who becomes uh, an assistant and later, you know, a junior agent. So it from the beginning, I was kind of like led to believe that she would maybe be the, the character around whom like the whole show revolves. Um, but surprisingly, like pleasantly surprised to see that it shifted to become more of a an Andrea show, especially in the the latter the the sort of later seasons. Yeah. Um, I mean in in a classic workplace drama, Mad Men is like a perfect example of this. It's always nice, especially in the pilot or especially in the first season, you have a newcomer and then you have the old timers, right? Yeah. So in Mad Men it was Peggy. We right. saw the world through Peggy's eyes because we were introduced to it at the same time that she was. Same with this younger a uh, girl who comes on as an assistant, but yeah, I mean, it all roads lead lead to whoever actually knows what the fuck they're talking about, which is usually like the long-standing agents. Andrea's uh, Andrea's great because she is like what you were talking about—that earnestness of maintaining or like playing a role in French cinema. Yeah, like she—that's how she understands her role to be, and she cares so much right. about her clients. But she's also a shark, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, but a shark with with heart. Yeah, um, yeah. compared yeah, yeah, to yeah, yeah. um, you know, there's there's that sort of like antagonist in the in the last season who is a shark without a heart. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, it is that earnestness, and it is a workplace drama, like you said. Um, what I found most interesting about the show and kind of the the angle that I would sort of like view it through is how the show portrays this this really blurry line between work and life. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. it's almost, you know, I don't want to compare it to The Office, but it's kind of like a similar feeling for the people who watch The Office because they like the characters, they want to spend the time with the characters. Yeah. They like to yeah. think of these characters as a workplace family, which is what The mm-hmm. Office like. Yeah, that's the fantasy that they spin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a similar thing here where it's like these people are so involved in each other's lives professionally, personally. Just all sorts of boundaries are crossed. They're each other's workplace family, as they sort of like say a lot of times, sometimes like sarcastically. Um, yeah. But what is interesting is like now more and more, I think people are aware that this fantasy of a workplace family is 
not real most of the time, yeah. almost all and the it's time. Not sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably not healthy either. Mm, um, mm, like mm. when your employer calls you a family member, oftentimes that's an excuse to exploit you and mistreat you. Yeah. And especially with something like this, where your job is so, your personal relationship with your client is everything. Yeah. It's, it's the whole, it's the beginning, it's the end all of these relationships like that you have with each one of your clients they all compound build up and make up the entire agency <laughs> you know what i mean like so it's perfect story material because the stakes are always there it's about gaining losing a client it's about maintaining relationship but at the same time it comes at the expense of everybody's personal lives which yeah. you see unfold throughout the season it, yeah it's it's exactly like you said it is um it just showcases how terrible that, that is. Yeah. And you really see it embodied very clearly through several characters, but, you know, particularly by Andrea, who is, like we said, the kind of the heart of the show and the agency as well. She gives everything to her job, to her clients, to the whole industry, to the point where her personal life, like including romantic relationships, family, mm-hmm. they just like cannot exist as long as she is prioritizing everything else going on with work, which yeah. work demands. So the reason that I found the final season so satisfying in a way was uh, mm-hmm. because of how bittersweet it was like yeah. bitter in that we're saying goodbye to these characters that we really love in this workplace family that you know we've grown so attached to and they're really mm-hmm. attached to each other but also like sweet because finally some of these people including andrea finally get to put themselves and their personal lives first for a change yeah yeah. And it's kind of like watching them break free from a very poisonous relationship or like a prison in some sense. As yeah. sad as we are to see, you know, to lose or say goodbye to this cast of characters and this family that we see together. Definitely. It's funny because I, I found the final season to be quite mixed in terms of the way that people received it. Because I thought it was satisfying too. I do think that they kind of turned the knife a little bit too much. <laughs> yeah. Because it is really heartbreaking. Bit, yeah. It was, there, there was a lot of, I think in season three, especially going into season four, there was a kind of a lot of, um, in terms of the actual business and how the agency is run, there was a lot of like, this way and that way and twists and turns and just like Mm -hmm. became a little bit convoluted to the point where i was like literally why is this happening like did this have to happen at all but i guess it did for the purposes of whatever story they were spinning yeah i also i thought that the antagonist in the final season was delicious Mm -hmm. she is so good like oh my god like just an incredibly evil person that you fucking hate like i can't Remember the last time I hated someone so much? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I kind of wish she came in a little bit earlier, to be honest. Like, I, I thought that they could have kind of rolled her out a little bit slower, whereas it was just like manically ramping towards the end of like the second half of season four. Yeah. So, she could have, yeah. you know, maybe at the end of season three or something like that. It could have been a good long term sort of antagonist. But yeah, it was the sort of thing when you're like, okay, I'm looking for some redeeming factor, some humanist equality, and you maybe get a tiny shred of that, but at the end, it totally destroys that, and it's like, no, actually, this is kind of a stone-cold bitch who will do anything for the business and her business, um, and that is just how it is. Yep. (laughs) And it's also, it just showcases a female villain that is also a mother that also doesn't give a fuck about you. (laughs) Like, it was just... perfect like we see that in men all the time 
like male villains where they're mm-hmm. just they're a father they're a family man but they're also a fucking prick yeah uh but you never really get that with women like she's usually childless and like usually doesn't have any family she's kind of working alone whereas like with this she's both and it's fantastic it's so good um, oh yeah and also like kind of like the idea of having it all um and how mm-hmm, like women are mm-hmm. so portrayed as like not being able to do that yeah but yeah here no she she kind of has it all and she's like totally yeah. fine with and where she, she gets is. it all which yeah is she gets it all <laughs> yeah um who was your who was your favorite cameo oh out of all the famous people i mean sigourney weaver was great oh, of course God, and also one of the yeah. few who i recognized um yeah it's so interesting like kind of which actors you see like and they had to agree to this i'm assuming or give their blessing where they either play themselves as they're they're basically making fun of themselves or doing some caricature of themselves they do they do play themselves though like it's it's always juliette binoche is juliette binoche yeah isabelle huppert is isabelle huppert right Um, they they literally are playing themselves but they're playing some version of themselves where they don't mind seeing their character sort of like like made fun of a little bit or like yeah yeah um exaggerated in some sense and of course they're i mean most of them still end up to be like kind of flattering in a way Mm -hmm. um because of course like they're probably not going to agree to if you're just portraying them as like an absolute raging asshole with no like funny or redeeming qualities yeah um it is it is very boisterous though i think that's like the best thing about it is like if it's nice to see how french stars know how to make fun of themselves i don't know if this show was to run in america i don't think they'd be able to get that big of a bench yeah to star in it (laughs) yeah i think so what about you did you have a favorite yeah, Isabel Huppert, are you kidding me? I love oh, the fact that yeah. they were just like, yeah, she doesn't sleep. Like, what? <laughs> it's so good. It's so funny. Yeah, I loved her. I also really liked the Cécile de France oh, uh, the very episode first in episode. the first season. Yeah, I mean, Cécile de France, is, I only know her from The Young Pope. Like, I was like, oh, I know her from The Young Pope. <laughs> oh. And then, or was it The New Pope? I've forgotten, or both. Um, mm. She was in that, um, but she's famous in France. But I really liked her episode. It's kind of about her thinking about getting some beauty procedures so she can get a role in the Quentin Tarantino film. It's funny because I feel like the reason why so many famous people agree to star in it is probably because it's accurate, which is nuts when you're watching it because you're just like, this can't be real. And then you're like, actually, maybe, yeah. Something maybe something like this Maybe this is like 90% accurate and maybe these things have happened but yeah, to, or at least to like some different names of events. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, and that was before I even like knew and realized like, oh, they're actually having real stars come and play themselves. I was like, oh, this this character is cool. This actress is cool. Um, and then looked her up to find out, oh, it is really her. Um, yeah. So it's a fun game to to see who plays how they play themselves in each one. And, and there is like yeah. something to be said about the kind of lower stakes episodes where it's like that sort of self contained sitcom-y mm-hmm. thing where it's just like just like one um you know sort of crisis comes up and they solve the crisis and they resolve it cleanly within one episode there's yeah. that sort of comfort in knowing that whatever is happening is probably gonna be resolved um somewhat like amicably or something by the exactly the yeah. end of the hour um versus the, the kind of overarching story which is a little bit more twisting and turning and definitely has some downsides yeah 
Yeah. Like, it's not dark, not really. No. It's, it's like, really uplifting, but not patronizingly. No. So. It's funny, and it's, like, it's just a true pleasure to watch, and I wish that there were, like, a million other shows like it, or there, there were, like, a million other seasons where I could just watch these characters over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you watched it, Jenny. I'm so yeah. happy. So into this. And yeah. it's a good, it was a good chance to get some more um, French, like, listening practice as i continue my duolingo re-education <laughs> oh yeah oh god. um god remember the time when i knew french fucking hell i'm sorry madame gemily my french teacher from a levels i'm sorry for <laughs> letting you down i miss you every day So what about you, Pellin? Um, Tell me what you watched this week. So this week, uh, keeping with that European theme, or I guess maybe not. I don't know. It's a bit confusing. I it's, watched... Uh, I guess like an international collaboration. Basically, we're talking about The Head. Mm-hmm. It's on HBO Max. It's a six-part limited series. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a limited series. It's another one of HBO Max's international production flexes. Um, they, you know, we've mentioned it previously. They've been doing some stuff in Spain. Uh, this is another one of those. This is an HBO Max bankroll, but it is a co-production between Spain, Japan, but it also features Danish and Swedish people and British people. I don't know. Sure. Okay. <laughs> so it's created by Dave and Alex Pastor and Dave Troncoso. So it's about a team sequestered in the middle of a an Antarctic research station during the winter where the sun doesn't rise for a smooth six months. And this is true. Obviously, this is not fake. This actually happens, mm-hmm. I think, in the North and the South Pole. Different times. Um, yeah, you know, six months, the sun comes out maybe three, four hours a day. And then for six months, it's just nothing. It's just nothing but darkness. Um, already, it's eerie, right? Mm-hmm. It's eerie to me. That seems terrifying. So they are this group of researchers. That, researchers and other, and other employees, they're absolutely called the winterers. I guess the best way to explain it is just to kind of explain what happens in the first episode. It starts off with them like the night before the six months of darkness begins and the summer crew is flying out and the winter crew is staying there and there's a cast of characters. They all have different roles. One's a chef, one's the communications guy, but they're all basically there to support the research of this guy called Arthur Wilde, who is played by John Lynch. His research, I guess it's something about global warming. They never really get into it, thank God. <laughs> Some bacteria that can eat CO2, I guess is the thing, which, wow. I love a, that you remembered that. I love that you remembered that. <laughs> Hyper attuned to any any climate change uh, savior or doomer sort of signal. Sure. Yeah, I, I just didn't hear that because I was like, that's definitely not happening. No. But okay, like in the real world. <laughs> Um, so they, we are left off and then like the next scene is the summer commander, Johan, uh, played by Alexandra Willem. He comes back to find carnage at the station, basically a bunch of dead bodies and only the team's general practitioner, which is, you know, you Americans, you call that shit a PCP, Maggie, who's played by Catherine O'Donnelly. She's the only one that's alive. Another thing is that Johan is married to the number two researcher, Annika, and she's gone missing. So it's also like a wife guy drama. But this is a classic murder mystery format. So if you have read Poirot, if you've you've seen any Poirot films, if you watch Knives Out, it's just a whole bunch of people that are under suspicion and you don't know who the fuck did it until basically the last minute, which during the six part series, it's like a slow unfold of information. You started watching this last night. 
Jenny. Yeah. What did you think so far? So I'm out of six episodes. I've watched three. I just started four. I have, I will say I've like, I've read the spoilers because I'm that kind of person. <laughs> so I know who did it. Um, wait, 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 wait. Did you read it because you were scared? Or did you read it because you just, you didn't care for like the whole like who did it mystery? Well, I read it because I'm a sick person and that is the kind of thing I do. <laughs> I like to spoil things for myself. Um, Fair enough. Including for like scary stuff, but I didn't feel like, like you, you assured me like this is not, it's a murder mystery, but it's not horror and it's not like super scary really. No, um, yeah. So it wasn't so much like to, because I was like trying to alleviate that fear or anything. I was just like, huh, I have a guess of who did it. Let me look it up and see if I'm right. Yeah. Um, and I was right. I will say that. But that's good. I'm not going to say more I'm glad. on that front. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's very, they're very much like sort of amping up all the tension that they can in these early episodes. Sometimes a little overboard, in my opinion, um, but definitely sort oh, of yeah. setting the scene to be kind of like this eerie murder mystery. And it did give me, like you said, like Agatha Christie vibes. Like, there was that, I don't know if you ever, like, read that, that book of hers that I found, like, the most terrifying, the, and then there were none, formerly known as Ten Little Indians, the one where, like, everyone in, on an island is dead, and no one knows how they, like, who killed everyone else, and then who, like, killed themselves or whatever. Um, yeah. So, it reminded me a lot of that, but, yeah, this is, like, very much in that vein, and I'm eager to, like, get to the end just to sort of see them find out like how it was done Mm -hmm. and who did it and stuff like that yeah the reason why i like it is because it's been a while i guess the last time was probably the undoing where we just kept guessing as to who did what uh obviously the undoing it's just one murder whereas like with the head it's like you have like i think eight bodies basically to account for and like who did what to them and how it even happened but the reason why i liked it is because I mean, it keeps you guessing. I also, like you, Jenny, uh, guess the ending. So that was very <laughs> sad. It, again, like the the pleasure in that is that it feels very satisfying to know that you were proved right. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I think for uh, for this show in particular, despite you know the annoying misdirection sometimes it is still good to be gripped and i think it is a little bit gripping i did feel like oh shit how did this happen yeah that's a thing and then you just find out yeah right more like how the specifics of how things unfolded rather than like the ultimate destination yeah so i guess the reason why i wanted to talk about this it reminds me of this thing that paste magazine's shane ryan he coined it snow noir which is excellent i think he's the one that coined it he says he's the one that coined it (laughs) but essentially it's something very dark usually a murder mystery that happens in a place where there's a lot of snow and this is understandably a very european genre (laughs) like this is our specialty because you know for you guys out in america for the most part yeah it's like depressing because it's cold and it's snowy and whatever but it's very depressing holiday season in europe it's just like the sun never comes out. It sets at like two thirty three, and then we don't see it. So we are all, we are all especially depressed during the winter months. I say all of that to say this is perfectly snow noir, and I'm really here for it. Like it's escapist, but at the same time not. Um, I guess for Americans, the closest thing that you guys have to snow noir is Fargo, both the film and then the first couple of seasons. What did you like about this show, Jenny? Because I think. I'll get into the reasons 
why I ultimately think that this is a good watch. Because I do have my qualms with it. But what what did you like about it? I like the setting. Um, I like what, that, that snow noir thing that, that you mentioned. Um, yeah, I think it's an interesting premise. And it's good enough to like take your mind off of wherever you are right now. Like I think someone, I think one of you, they, they called it like an escapist uh, sort of thing. And I think mm-hmm. that's probably right. And it's definitely, it definitely puts it into perspective. Yeah. Uh, like if you're under lockdown quarantine, like the same way that I am right now, that you are as well, we think we've got it bad. <laughs> and then you see these people who haven't had, you know, sunlight in six months and they're all stuck in this place because if they leave, they will literally They're die in the cold. Dead. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it like gives whole meaning to like <laughs> lockdown and like claustrophobic sort of, you know, imprisonment essentially. Yeah. Um, exactly. But yeah, what what did you like about it? I just I really liked how they really showed how people can unravel whenever there is suspicion in place especially in a situation like the one that they're in. And obviously this is a TV show. It's not very accurate. It's not to say that a bunch of researchers and their chefs and their support staff is going to lose their fucking minds and like kill each other. But we know what hysteria does to people. We know what fear does to people. Like everyone does lose their fucking minds, Loki, even if they're not, you know, without sunlight for six months, stuck in the Antarctica. But it's really nice to kind of see it as some kind of like Hobbesian experiment Uh, you know what i mean you know it kind of Um, now that you say that it kind of gives me a similar feeling um the wilds um oh yeah yeah Yeah. which we talked about in a previous episode but that similar kind of thing of like being stuck somewhere with a bunch of people who you don't maybe you know maybe you don't really know some of them Mm -hmm. um and then when things start to devolve and suspicion kind of wells up in everyone against everyone else yeah uh how people behave and how you know their humanity sort of uh gets eroded in in the face of all these this fear yeah i think obviously with this i don't want to give too much away but what you find out is that there is some kind of herd mentality that came about Mm -hmm. and that is being upheld and so much of it is maintaining uh the order of that and that's kind of why it ends up to where it is but yeah i like that about it i think the things that i didn't like about it Mm. was i think some of the misdirection didn't really work there's a lot of accents going on here which i (laughs) (laughs) yes which isn't it definitely isn't an issue not really but it did feel this was definitely a disjointed cast you know like everyone i don't think any of the actors hung out with each other there didn't seem to be much chemistry going on between them like it didn't feel like these people had spent six months with one another and there are some like Um, varying levels of performance ability also yeah definitely definitely um which is which is unfortunate because obviously like I think it's just the nature of the production, you know. It's Spanish, it's Japanese. Like, I guess, like, the money from one end from Japan sent one of their actors, and then from Spain they sent some actors, and then Denmark chipped in, and (laughs) it's just like, what? (laughs) The thing is, I'm not too mad at it, because I think any research team that deals with something like this is usually quite international. I think that part is accurate. That is accurate. So it worked out, but it just didn't gel on a performance level. Yeah, as the viewing experience. Um, and one of the yeah. a a fun fact for you. So the the Japanese actor who plays Aki, one of the researchers, I mm-hmm. didn't realize until I looked at the cast. But this is a former uh, J-pop like idol. 
Um, oh, no way. Yeah. He, I think now he goes by his like actual name as like a working actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is better known to J-pop fans as Yamapi. Um, I know mm. this because I had like a J-rock J-pop phase in high school. Look at you. Um, <laughs> that's a fun fact for you. A former J-pop idol is the him. Antarctic, I don't know, one of the researchers. I think he's doing all right for a pop star turned actor. Yeah. And, um, and speaking in English, again, also. And speaking in English, yeah. Like he, I think he is fluent. Everyone was just on a completely different level in terms of uh, ability. Yeah. I didn't like Maggie's performance, what I've seen of it so far. Mm, it yeah. strikes me as a bit like I feel like this is a, a newcomer. I see what you mean. Yeah, I think she I think some of her like panic attacks felt a little bit too much. And that kind of leads me into like the next thing that I didn't like about it was the way that they stalled the plot mm. from, you know, because that's the thing is like with murder mysteries, there is a lot of misdirect, but there is a lot of like stalling that happens. And some of the stalling just felt a little bit too obvious mm. and a little bit too clunky. But it was forgiving. Like, I could forgive it because I think the themes felt compelling. I think the reason why things were happening the, the way the way that they were felt not realistic, but believable. Mm. Um, and even though it was very clunky and not very graceful, I do love a good twist. And the <laughs> thing is, like, there's a huge there's two twists that come in this season one in the second half and then one is obviously in the in the final scene and you know they can be frustrating some people can be like oh yeah i guess and like you know if you're like me and jenny you kind of saw it coming but i do enjoy it like they rarely ever happen anymore twists like remember the undoing that was not a twist like we did not get a twist that was just we were waiting for a twist yeah, um, and we didn't get it. Whereas, like, I think for the head, if you're, you know, if you if you like a good twist and you just want to be like brain empty, no thoughts, don't worry about trying to predict. It's fun. Like, it's just they're always fun. So yeah, and it's, it's short. Just, it's short enough that you can kind of make quick work of this over just like a weekend. Yeah. If you were on this team, what would you want your role to be? Ah, uh, I guess the only thing I am like could remotely even consider myself qualified for and even then not really qualified um cook I guess I can like help cook stuff although I don't I am guessing that they're working with very limited resources and you have to have quite a bit of kitchen savvy to work through all of it that Um, kitchen was big though that was a very very big it's true but I don't know how stocked they are and everything um literally I could not do anything else uh what Mm -hmm. about you Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to imagine a world where I can do anything I want. <laughs> um, That's a difference uh, between you and me, but yeah. I uh, I think uh I think I'd probably want to be on the research team just to kind of give myself a little bit of focus or something to actually live for. Oh, that's true. Cuz the way I function, I think by week 1 I would probably <laughs> trigger warning, start thinking about killing myself if I didn't see sun. <sighs> um so uh, yeah, I would need something to kind of get me out of bed every day, I would say. Yeah, like hyper-focus on these bacteria, these special bacteria. Hell yeah. It's just me and my backs, you know? <laughs> That's um, true. Good point. Yeah. This week for Culture Notes, we are kind of cheating a little bit and using it as an opportunity to talk about yet another show WandaVision, of course, the finale was just on Friday, and people are talking about it. Yeah, and obviously, if you haven't watched the finale yet, don't listen to this part. Yes. I do feel like anyone that has been into WandaVision has already seen it, though. Yeah. Like, it's been a day. Um, So it seems that 
you know, reactions are kind of mixed. They run the gamut from like critical reaction, I think on the whole has been a little bit on the disappointed side. And then of course, on the the opposite side of the spectrum, you know, fans are fucking thrilled. They're like, what a masterpiece, spectacular. Yeah. Um, would not change a thing. Look at Wanda's amazing new costume. Um, which is true. <laughs> she looks fantastic. She does look really good, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think it's interesting that there is kind of such a divide in terms of like fan reaction, fandom versus I guess what you could call mainstream audience, casual viewers or critics. Yeah. I don't know. What well, first off, like tell me, Pellin, were you disappointed? Like where on the spectrum are you? I'm not disappointed. Mm-hmm. I think the and the reason why I'm not and and the the reason why I've been pretty interested by this kind of feedback that's been happening from the finale. You know, I think the critics were expecting something just because of the way that the season began, mm-hmm. like the the way that it didn't follow a traditional Marvel format or yeah. the way that we understand it to be as far as you know the films go and like how that would translate to TV. I think they thought that it would be a little bit more thoughtful or a little bit more weird, or a little bit more like... I guess I guess the critics thought it would be a little bit more creative and w- wouldn't follow... Like, the arc of the season wouldn't follow such a traditional Marvel format. Yeah. And the reason why they're disappointed by it is because, obviously, all roads lead to the Marvel format. Yes. Um, and yes. the reason why I think marvel fans were a little bit confused at the beginning of the season is because they didn't know what the fuck was going on and Mm. then slowly episode by episode especially after episode four they were like oh no i understand this i understand this language Mm. i understand this visual language and then the season finale uh had a huge showdown two huge showdowns it was like almost all action um yeah it was like 90 percent action Mm -hmm. which is Again, like that's class. That's a classic Marvel film. It's all. It's basically the bread and butter. Like the thing that holds it together are just like action action sequences. And so it's in this weird this weird in between. And I think for me, I obviously wish that there were some parts of it that were finessed a little bit more or expanded out a little bit more. Like for example, I think it was forty minutes long. Yeah, something like that. I think the the total runtime was like 52 minutes including all the credits so yeah minus- and they were there were two um stingers at the yeah. end of it yeah so yeah i think they could have afforded like stingers aside i think the episode itself could have been an hour long i don't think anyone would have complained mm-hmm. and i would have liked that extra 20 minutes to get into some things that they didn't get into at all or they just kind of like brushed by yeah i saw that there were you know some of the critical observations were regarding like the the trauma and like basically how the show dealt with not only Wanda's trauma but the trauma that she put the townspeople through mm-hmm. um you know I kind of under I understand how the show dealt with it and why they probably like chose to deal with it that way um it went a little bit fast if they spent a few more minutes on it uh, just processing it more yeah i think some of the these reactions would have been tempered a little bit regarding that front yeah and that was my issue with it but it like with regards to you know feeling disappointed because they didn't follow or at least like the way that critics are seeing it feeling disappointed because they didn't get a little bit more original or creative with the structure of it man this is an MCU production. Right. Like, I knew that from the beginning. I thought it was, I think, like, you and I both really, really non-committed to Marvel in general. Like, I think you and I both found it interesting that they, um, like, the first three episodes were so weird. Not even for MCU, for any TV show. It was like, what's going on? 
Um, and the fact that they were in their bag with it, like I love that. I love that they were just like, yeah, we're just gonna sit in this for a second and then we'll get to it. Yeah. But we, I think I just always knew that this was gonna happen. Like, right. I we saw the comes, trailer. It comes from like what your expectations are, essentially. Yeah. You know, one group expected a different thing. One group kind of like ultimately saw it for what it was. They knew it mm-hmm. was coming because this is their world. This is their fandom. Like for me, I did get a little bit I like zoned out a little bit more when it once it came to the the marvely like real real world kind of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, like I think the the best way to sum it up is like as you said all roads lead to Marvel. It is like kind of funny that this was like maybe at fir- first like heralded as like a oh wow like almost like an art house like any kind of mm-hmm. thing for Marvel. Yeah. Um yeah. and it's like no, at its core it's you know, it's it's Marvel is what it has always been. And it was always going to be a connective tissue to the films. Right. right? Um, not yeah. that it wasn't a fun ride or anything. And that's it. I think like that's the thing about it that I don't really understand was just like, it, this was obviously just a fantastic week to week way of connecting with people, talking about it, something to look forward to. Like yeah. that was, it was so good. Like it was Friday night. Like I know it comes out at like 3 a.m. on a Friday morning or whatever, but like most people were watching it after work on a Friday night. That was like the, th- that's how you knew the week was over in your weekend or whatever that fucking means was about to begin. Um, so that was really enjoyable. And like we mentioned previously, the standum that has started. It's always fun to watch that. Yeah, and watch it build week to week. Um, yeah. I really miss that feeling of, yeah, just like the the weekly drop to look forward to. And yeah. the last time, of course, this happened, again, the the undoing. Thank you, yeah. the undoing, for giving us a brief sort of distraction last yeah. year. Yeah. But yeah, there. It was funny because some of the quote-unquote discourse involved like this insane tweet that was like, you know why like WandaVision was so disappointing and fans and their predictions and everything ruined you know, everything on the finale, it's because it was on a weekly release uh, schedule. And it's like, like are you fucking dumb? <laughs> no. <laughs> it, 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 how can you say that? It's literally the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. If that, if I promise you, if WandaVision dropped the whole season, it would be terrible. Like, I think everyone would be like, yeah, so this is, this is kind of bad. <laughs> Whereas... The incremental of it all just kind of let us completely em- for me anyway. Like again, not a Marvel fan, neither one of us are. It was just extremely empty brain, no stakes. <laughs> watching these two characters that I have no idea where they came from, where they're going, uh, just watching their relationship and kind of the way that they unfolded grief. And I think that's like the the biggest strengths about it is obviously it's about grief and it's about people deal how how Wanda deals with her grief. And people want to watch that, man. It's very, it's relevant to a lot of people right now, unfortunately. Anyway, like, thank you, WandaVision, for all the discourse you brought. Um, yeah. I will not be watching the the next thing, which is coming out in two weeks, I think, on Disney Plus, The Winter two or Soldier three weeks, or whatever. Yeah, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, yeah. right? I will not be watching that. Why so not? I. This this is it for me. What? This, this is it for me. I don't you know. You can't. What. No, you can't leave me hanging. Jane, oh my please. god! It has no vanity. You're te- hook okay, to wait a minute. Like, you're telling I'm me not gonna go into it. You're telling me you don't want to watch Sebastian Stan. Oh, is he a, a Winter Soldier? Is that? What yeah, he's what he's either the Falcon or the Winter Soldier. I don't fucking know. <laughs> I've uh, had a crush on Sebastian Stan since forever, bro. Like, I mean, I don't blame you. I don't blame yeah, you. Yeah, that's the only reason why I'm watching. 
Like straight up. And also it's it's again, it's the week to week. I'm like, yeah, shoot it right into my veins. Give me a week to week. I could watch <sighs> We'll see. I I'm we'll pr- see. I'm so desperate for it. I'm so desperate for that week to week. You could be like, here's a you know, every week there's gonna be a new video of Sebastian Stan farting for ten minutes. Are you gonna watch it? And I'd be like, Hell yeah. Yeah, Fair. I'm. I'm gonna Fair. make you watch it. I'm gonna make you watch it. Okay, Excellent. we'll see. We'll see. Um, <laughs> in the meantime, in the meantime, please enjoy in in our Substack. Please enjoy the links that we will provide of all the first tweets that have been happening for Vision after the series finale because he wa- he wore a black turtleneck and everyone kind of lost their minds because Paul Bettany's body is very nice. <laughs> And he looked great in that very skin tight turtleneck. So we'll provide some links going around. And that's what we've been watching this week. If you have been watching anything that you think we should check out, please let us know at criticismisdead at gmail.com or just at us or DM us at criticismisdead, all one word, on Twitter and Instagram. For extended show notes and uh, the links that we previously mentioned, please subscribe to Criticism Is Dead com and as always thank you so much for listening please rate review us five stars on, on apple Podcasts, and please tell a friend about us as well yeah. see you guys next week bye criticism is dead is produced by pen and keskin lu and jenny jijan our music is by rika our artwork and design are by sarah macias and andrew lu